Welcome to Extra AI, the podcast series on machine learning and AI applications. Yes, you're right. X-T-R-A-W-A-I. Extract the raw AI conversations with guests from different domains. And this is your host, Raghu Bandra. So as always, uh, today I will be again talking with a guest, and this time from a startup here in the Bay Area. And the focus is more on how you can measure the usage of different features in a particular product in the context of AI. As we all know, it is very important in the context of AI. You have humongous amount of data and humongous amount of features that come with these data. So how important it is to understand and optimize the usage of these different features and optimize the different data that is available or data that is coming in here. So in today's session, I talked with a guest from a startup focusing on digital optimization and telemetry in the context of AI. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. As always, you'll find more information at the end of the session. All right, uh, welcome back. This is uh, Raghubanda again uh, on the podcast series, Machine Learning and AI Applications. And today I have a guest from the digital optimization and telemetry world and how it helps with AI. So today I have uh, invited John Cutler from Amplitude. And today we are going to talk about digital optimization and telemetry with AI. So welcome, uh, John. Welcome on board. Uh, I would appreciate if you can provide a brief introduction from your end. Sure. Um, so first, thank you for having me. Um, my career has taken some twists and turns. I was actually a musician <laughs> for the better part of my 20s, but then started to... that. Uh, if my son decides to become a musician, I'll warn him that there's some limits to that particular career. Uh, but anyway, I started to get more involved with digital and product management uh, and analytics. And in the last maybe seven or eight years, my background is very heavily in UX research, uh, both qualitative and quantitative UX research, uh, product management. And then in my role at Amplitude, it's a fascinating role because I'm an evangelist for the company, but that amounts to me being a coach and teacher to our particular customers. So we've got a couple thousand customers, uh, and it puts me in contact with a good cross-section of the industry, ranging from two-person startups in, in a, a closet <laughs> all the way to, you know, uh, you know Fortune 5 companies um, doing these. So that's a bit about me, um, but you could describe me as a product nerd at heart. So that's my, uh, I, I see analytics as a tool to get the product work done. <laughs> um, so Hopefully that context is helpful for folks. Thank you, John. That's a great introduction. I like the aspect that uh, you are coming from the music background, and which means that you are, <laughs> you know, how to orchestrate this data in the context of uh, doing bigger and better things. Um, <laughs> so, like, uh, like always, I do when I get into this uh, conversation with our guests. I have a teaser question where I try to put forward this thought. Maybe you talked in a little different way, but I think uh, you already presented some kind of an introduction, but I would like to tweak in a bit more and ask you 
what kind of AI or ML experiences or even analytics experiences has changed your life, you, which we have taken for granted in the past, but now we do see a lot more potential or a lot more things changing. Maybe can you provide some kind of thoughts for our audience? Yeah, that's, I love that question because I have to admit some of the things that have changed my life are probably regarded as very simple, <laughs> but l let me explain what I mean that um, the idea, for example, that a product team could be building a feature and see something that looks moderately interesting to them, mm -hmm. some interaction that they expect for them, the, the customer, and basically instrument that, um, you know, agree to track it. And then, you know, minutes or hours later or some period when it's in production, <laughs> then be able to understand the usage of that thing across different cohorts of customers. To me, that's groundbreaking in a sense, not because it's a complex activity. You know, if I said to anyone on the call, like, do you think it's interesting <laughs> that a team could track, you know, how often something is happening about something they're building mm -hmm. and then work with it? You know, most people would say, well, well, that's the simplest thing ever in the world. But in my experience, and this is again, coming from this product background or this UX research background in so many environments, you know, what we perceive of as business self-service is a business user being able to access a simple dashboard or answer their question, or maybe using AI or ML behind the scenes to predict something or to build a model. All that is incredibly interesting, <laughs> but the idea that you have a cross-functional group of people, an engineer, a product manager, a designer, maybe an analyst who's embedded on the team, and they have that flexibility and freedom to find an object of interest, you know, something of interest to them. Mm -hmm. And then in a very lightweight way, be able to incorporate that into their work and how they understand the impact of their work. To me, that's, that's the eye-opening thing. <laughs> and, right. and I say this having been pretty deep in sort of some other types of analysis or other types of gathering insights or other projects, you know, as the PM for search at Zendesk. And so I've, you know, some background in search and other things. So I'm only consistently blown away by the high end, mm -hmm. but I'm amazed in my day-to-day -day work, what I would call like what we would consider a table stakes idea and product about being able to easily interact with you know, events of interest for what you're shipping. To me, that's been mind blowing <laughs> um, seeing teams have that. So I don't know, maybe not the sexiest of answers, but that's what really changes the way I look at things. No, that is a great answer. I think I like the way you put it. I think uh, that gives a great perspective for us to get into this conversation because we are going to talk more about digital tracking and telemetry and optimization. Uh, yeah. So let me take a quick break, come back, and then we get into the conversation. Sure. Right, welcome back. So now let us uh, get into the meat of our conversation of today's topic about digital optimization and telemetry, where data is a key in uh, one of the key components in AI. So John, I know there is a lot of buzz going on around digital transformation and digital optimization, so on and so forth in the enterprise business world. Any thoughts you could share before we get into the bigger picture about 
these different firms talking about digital transformation and optimization? Well, I mean, one thing you see this in my work is that there are many waves of transformation happening at once that fall under the general umbrella of digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is, is that if you go to your average enterprise in the world or global sort of business, you will see uh, product transformation. You'll see an element of customer experience transformation. You'll see an agile transformation. <laughs> you might see this sort of embracing this idea around DevOps, they're doing that. Um, in the product transformations, that extends to the products that touch the world, but also internal products and platforms, a very interesting area of this. And then the range is so massive that actually in some ways, words like digital transformation cease to become all that helpful when you peel away the layers for a particular company. So for example, in example, company X primarily sees digital transformation as digitizing previously non-digitized uh, points of interaction with customers. You know, instead of someone calling and talking to an operator, you will use some combination of AI and ML and sort of digital interface to maybe proactively give them advice or do something. And in other companies, digital transformation is fundamentally changing their business model and the products they offer to the world to be more product-like businesses, more digital product-first type experiences. So I think that the, the key thing for people imagining this space is to peel away the layers because it's very difficult when a company says, you know, we are midway through our digital transformation and then you go and talk to them. <laughs> And it, it turns out that they don't have a single um, muscle fiber yet right. <laughs> around product uh, or design. And that primarily this is about, you know, re-architecting systems they have or, or digitizing certain customer channels that they have. So I think the, de uh, the devil's in the details when it comes to that question. Around the digital optimization thing, again, I would layer that against what are they optimizing and right. are they chasing a kind of local maximum or are they busting through the local maximum to chase some kind of step change in their business? Meaning, you know, a company is spending $30 million on some type of manual support and they are attempting to optimize some cost value there or some e efficiency or effectiveness value for that line of what they're doing. There's a limit to that. Mm -hmm. and what they could do versus saying to yourself, actually, instead of saving 20 of that $30 million by digitizing, we're going to create a whole new business right. around something as a data company to be able to launch a $100 million a year business in terms of things. So the devil's in the details uh, around the buzz. And I think that that's an important concern. Great, great. So do you think, uh, John, that this digital transformation or the digital optimization has uh, fastened during this COVID times. And it, I, I, I yeah. see a lot more companies doing it now and it has fastened the pace at which it is happening. Do you think that is happening and why Why do you think that is happening now at that frantic, frantic pace? Yeah, I mean, this is just real world stories that I'm sure you've heard as well, you know, uh, I'll tell a funny story. There's a, you know, a national company in the United States. And for years, there was a team who was planning on curbside pickup. Mm -hmm. 
and they kept getting delayed. And then finally, COVID was the catalyst. But you know what the catalyst was? Was to get the uh, zoning <laughs> and permission to cut a three-foot piece of pavement out of the parking lot to make room for curbside pickup. <laughs> so I love this story because it kind of layers on what COVID did to this. It's that the, you know, fundamentally the 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 guts and the plumbing and the ideas for many of these things were in place before. What COVID did accelerate is obviously just the the harsh business reality around many of these shifts. And, and I think it's hilarious that the major hurdle was to cut the piece of the pavement out, had nothing to do <laughs> with the with the systems that were involved in doing it. So at least at Amplitude, you know, we did a report a year or two ago, I'll find it and we can link to it in the comments where for many of Amplitude's customers, uh, combined with market conditions, you know, the two years ago, up to one year ago was a massively uh, interesting and and growth filled time for many of these companies i mean it was almost like a black uh you know like a prime day was happening every week hmm. again and again and again for many of these businesses so imagine that right you know prime week at amazon is the biggest week and it sets new records yeah. but for many of these customers it was a prime week every week every week in terms of an increase in in sales or an increase in interactions however Obviously, market conditions have cooled off and there was many things going off. And so we can see there's a current correction back. What I find fascinating, though, is that many of the companies that were really forced into a difficult spot two years ago or one year ago. So if you were a business that actually relied on in-person things or maybe travel or other things, those businesses did not experience these glory days. True. In fact, the opposite, they experienced industry or, or business altering business killing events, right? That they could do. The fascinating part is those companies built this level of resiliency at that time, if they survived, which many, many of them did, that then hastened these kind of digital transformation in more resilient ways. So what you actually saw in the last couple of years, from my perspective, is you know, the, the organizations that were seriously stressed and tested because of their business models actually innovated and created the sources of resiliency. Whereas the businesses that experienced the, the, the good old days of the pandemic, if we could call that, because it's like a massively disruptive, terrible event in the world, these companies have had to come back down to earth <laughs> now when we do it. So I think that you 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 saw sort of different tracks of these last couple of years, which I think is is kind of a fascinating element of this, uh, ranging from resiliency building all the way up to you know massive increase and in, and in decline. Beautiful, beautiful. I like the way you have uh, uh, answered this. Um question of mine, because this is where I keep getting a lot of questions myself as well. And I like the way you put it. So now, of course, we know that a lot of startups and a lot of bigger firms are also working on these different telemetry aspects of the customer data usage or the customer tracking or the data tracking. How does Amplitude play a role here? Maybe if you can give a quick... Yeah, I could briefly describe. Yeah, describe there. Yeah, so... Um... You know, Amplitude's history actually in 2011 or 12, there was a massive void in the market. If you, if you and I started a company and we wanted to build a mobile app and we wanted to have very granular event-based 
events that are tied to a specific user. That was actually extremely difficult at that time. Hmm. You know, you either built something in-house that you attempted to do it and you queried it kind of manually and, you, you know, you tracked every single event, or you used a product that was more built for marketing and kind of session-based um, either e-commerce or kind of content-based website type interactions. And you can imagine how different it is, right? If you're building a mobile app that's meant to retain users over months and years, um, even decades that people have used these apps, it's a different ball game from a measurement standpoint compared to, you know, is did this campaign land people on this page that tried to get to the purchase within five minutes? You know, like that that's a different ball game. So that was the the environment that Amplitude originally grew up in was this void. Mm -hmm. The positioning that we, you know, the role we play in this particular market is that, frankly, a lot of providers, the, 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 the enterprise level providers were still kind of in that world of um, either enabling just pure analysts to be able to query large amounts of data, or on the other hand, like, marketing coordinators or SEO specialists or other people to manage a website. Mm -hmm. So that's the environment that we grew up in uh, as a company. And it was very fortuitous timing, right? In the market with the rise of apps and the rise of these things. The funny part about there is just think about now almost every product uh, we use. I mean, the notes we're looking at this are from Dropbox and um, the idea of a single page app that behaves right. almost like a, you know, desktop product is so ubiquitous now, we don't even think about it, you know, versus like a page view oriented product that we're doing. So around 2016 and 17, we saw this increasing influx of, to the point we mentioned before around this digital transformation activity, increasingly larger companies pivoting what they were doing to more product-like experiences, product-like interactions with customers, thinking about customer lifetime value, thinking about retention of customers, uh, freemium or free trial type experiences that involve using the product before you've even purchased the product. Um, so that's kind of our niche in the particular space. Uh, the one thing that the company obviously realized early is that um, you know, no analyst wants to write a 500 line query for like a windowed retention curve right. and then have someone say to them, oh, I want, uh, I want unbounded retention instead of end day retention. True. <laughs> and then True. the analyst says, oh my God, I have to go home and have some coffee. You know, I, you're kidding me here. So the company realized very early on that there was this, you know, we could call it self-service, but there was this need from product developers to be able to, to query this without necessarily writing queries uh, themselves, which kind of built up the idea of this, you know, a visual query opportunity to do it. So hopefully that explains where we grew up in this particular space. Certainly it's a massive space. And recently too, you know, there's just a massive influx of companies that are attempting to work out other parts of this problem in the data warehouse or the metrics layer or any of these other, it's just an exploding space at the moment. Um, so there's a lot we could talk about, <laughs> about in the space, but it's pretty, that's, that's where Amplitude originally formed what it does and where it fits in. Great. Great. To, to, to take that question further down the lane, I would, I would like to understand, or I would want to put this so that the audience can get a better feel at it. Like, uh, how is Amplitude different from the competitors? I know there are a lot of competitors in this space. Yeah. Uh, 
or the new entrants, like we talk about these Fortress Five forces, right? Like you have the yeah. threat of the new entry or uh, your or the established players, and how I know it's a crowded market, but how do you differentiate yourself? How does Amplitude differentiate itself from the other competitors? Sure, I'll players? take a stab at it. I don't want to slip into salesperson language, so sure, I'll try sure. to be realist, yeah. as realistic as possible. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, what I mentioned before is actually a large differentiation. True. So you could imagine something like Adobe or Google Analytics or anything meant to originally measure websites. Mm-hmm content sites, basically CMS, like content management systems or um, media consuming sites, or for example, an e-commerce experience. With many of those products, and now they, they're evolving their products as we speak, so this isn't some set in time point of things, fundamentally those were not built up on the idea of very crisply defined events that describe the user's behavior over potentially months and quarters and years. Mm -hmm. So to explain what I mean is that if you go into Amplitude right now, and you know, let's say you used Amplitude, I could go and see every single event that you triggered in our product one by one with all the related properties related to it just for you. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's that level of granularity. And so there's not a lot of um, kind of, pre-aggregation of the data or thinking about it. It's like a very flat model with a bunch of events where we're doing user uh, identity resolution and trying to figure out that very specific track of who we believe to be a specific human through a particular product based on that. Now, when you think about many of those products that were based around, let's say, a Google Analytics or Adobe, that very much was the idea of the page view and the session were the preeminent objects. And the idea of isolating it down to a particular person wasn't that big of a deal, mm -hmm. right? You didn't need to do that because that's not what you were optimizing. You were not worried about what that same person did you know, five months from now, or you were not worried about that person's total value. So I would say that from a competitive, you know, this is, it seems like a minor detail, but there's a joke in, um, it's it's a related industry in ad tech that you only build an ad server once. <laughs> and I think that it's a funny joke because most analytics products are built on like a preeminent object. Right. And then that dictates all sorts of design decisions down the road. So GA, the preeminent objects of something like Google Analytics was the page view and the session. With analytics, the preeminent idea was the event and the specific user. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of sets us in context with some of those, you know, sort of web analytics. Now, if you think about something like Tableau, um, you know, Tableau is ostensibly self-service. The difference there with something like Tableau is that someone typically needs to go behind the scenes mm -hmm. and transform that data uh, into a format that won't take Tableau. You know, Tableau is not going to sit there and query a million or a billion events for you. <laughs> Um, that's a lot to do. And so you're, you're crunching that data down. So someone needs to think ahead of time about how to kind of aggregate the tables and pull together the tables to do that. So you could think about these visualization tools. Amplitude is different because we keep it fairly open. In that sense, it's more like product observability. We don't try to guess ahead of time every single question that you have. We don't try to guess ahead of time of exactly what you're going to want to do with the data. We keep it pretty open. 
and then do those types of transformations on the fly based on your particular question or what you're doing. So that's like a more sort of technical thing that you could obviously put Tableau on top of your data warehouse and spend time trying to recreate every chart within Amplitude, for example. But then the minute someone said, actually, I kind of want to view the data just a little bit differently based on a couple different cuts for this user, mm-hmm. you would be have a very difficult time of doing that. So I could keep going through some of the competitors and things in the particular space. I think that the interesting, um, when you talk about new entrants, um, what's very interesting to us is the number of companies that are choosing to put visualization on top of a data warehouse like Snowflake mm-hmm. and query the information directly. So you could think of Amplitude almost as like a specialized data warehouse data store for event stream data that's very fast and very performant and that does this kind of identity matching and identity resolution. What we're observing is that some of the new entrants are piggybacking over the momentum that exists now in in the data warehouse space. And they're sacrificing some level of speed and Mm. some level of self-service to be able to put those products directly on top of the data warehouse. So that gives you a little bit of insight about our space. You know, some of these legacy players, new players, the related parts of the industry, you know, what's happening in the data warehouse, what's happening with those things. So hopefully that helps. Sure, sure, great. I think that's a great response. I think the key the key element here uh, that I understood is that about the product observability in the context of event based mechanism, depending on the user behavior, and that is right. how you kind of uh, pick up and you differentiate amplitude differentiates from the rest of. Uh, it really is fascinating because fascinating. of how you architect these systems. I mean, traditionally in the environment that I was in, the way that this started with, you must define every question you have in advance. Hmm. And then someone will think about how to transform the data to do that or create some sort of very simple dashboard that will give you that thing that you asked for. Mm-hmm. And the idea now that we're in a space like the product observability thing is directionally, you should know some of the questions you'll have. Because if you don't, you might not... Um, instrument some of the properties or the events that you're interested in. But the difference is that, you know, we play a joke at Amplitude where let's say we have 20 insight types in Amplitude and we have user properties and we have event properties. Mm-hmm. And it always amazes people like 10 well-instrumented events, each with 10 properties and a user with maybe 10 properties themselves multiplied by 20 different insight types in the product and all these sort of infinite ways to be able to, to slice and dice that data gives you an incredible long tail of questions that you can answer. True. Whereas most people in their mind equate instrumentation and, and transforming the data, that there's a linear relationship. You know, mm. If we instrument these events and we transform the data this way, we will get these dashboards. But if you want more, we need to put in more work. True. Whereas in a product observability standpoint, it's like, no, you can pretty much look at the things, what, what's happening that we care about, very domain-oriented type events, and then that unlocks like a fairly large, long tail of questions that you can answer and, and applications of that data. So it's it's a little bit of a, a different mindset, um, and I don't know if that resonates with you, but it's certainly like a different way of working for many people. Great, great. I know there's a great conversation going on, and you have explained in depth about the different aspects of uh, data tracking, data usage, and also we talked about the event 
mechanism and also how the users, uh, how, it is, how it is provided based on the product observability of the different user sessions. I know there is a lot that we have unpacked here. Maybe I would like to take a quick break for the audience sure. to digest this and then we come back and get into a little more detailed nice. questions around the customers. All right, uh, welcome back. So we've been talking about the digital optimization, the telemetry, and we talked about the, we are getting into the aspects of product observability and how these event types are helping and how we can slice and dice information based on the different users. Now, uh, John, I want to go a bit more into the different kinds of requests that you get from the customers? Do you see more in the cloud space or in the on-premise world when you talk about this customer data and tracking and this product observability? I know many enterprises are running into these kind of issues, right? Where they're trying to understand what features of my product are mm. better used compared to the other features. It might be any of these enterprise firms like SAP, Oracle, yeah. <laughs> Workdays. And also the, I, I also know that uh, hyperscalers like the AWS or the Microsofts or the GCPs, everybody goes into this because we keep developing a lot of these new features. We want to see how we track these different features and see which is better and which is not. And so a few things around the cloud customers as well as on-premise customers and what are the requests that you get? Yeah, so. I know I've put a lot of question in that, a lot of things in that. Yeah, but maybe I, I'll can, try yeah. to, I'll, I'll address this a couple of different ways. I okay. think that um, for a lot of the requests from customers that we see, at least at, at Amplitude, is that there is this, you know, there is a broad use case around, I'm shipping something new, is it working? So for example, Amplitude has an experimentation component if you want to run a controlled experiment of some kind. Um, and then there's obviously ways to use other sort of less rigorous <laughs> methods to be able to understand a particular feature. But there's a broad use case under, we're shipping this thing. Is it being used as we expected? Uh, is it having the impact that we expected? Is it functioning in the way that we expected? So that's sort of a, one broad category of use cases. For us, what we see from other customers is that they are trying to identify the behaviors of their most successful customers for many different purposes, right? So they're trying to say, well, you know, it turns out that these channels of attracting customers are ending up that these customers are more successful with the product. They're reaching these kind of aha moments in the product. Uh, customers who reach that aha moment are much more likely to retain. They're much more likely to maybe go on to expand their business with a particular company. So this extends beyond one particular feature and is more about understanding how, you know, Amplitude has very powerful cohorting. That's kind of one of the most essential things that the product does. But by segmenting these customers, you know, are we able to spend our money more effectively in both attracting customers? Um, you know, lots of these enterprise products are like a graveyard of features. You know, the complexity of these products, they do everything and anything and they're all acquiring new companies and they're trying to create big platforms around these things. 
And that use case of goodness, we've purchased 10 companies and now we want to make a platform across these 10 products. And oh, of course, you know, these customers will buy this product. And, you know, I, I, you know, there's all sorts of assumptions based into that. <laughs> so I'd say the second broad use case is we're trying to, you know, optimize our investment in the product to make sure that we're encouraging the behaviors in our product that lead to the long-term sort of customer lifetime value that exists. And we're guiding customers through the right thing. So this is above the feature level. It's like the journey level, mm -hmm. I think that exists. I think that there's, you know, these are probably pretty familiar to people, but you do get a lot of, you know, people who are trying to design some kind of onboarding flow or some, you know, sign up flow or a very linear flow in the product that has a beginning, middle and end. And they're trying to decide exactly where people are falling off and look at Sankey diagrams and funnels and all sorts of things. I would say that's more like the workflow based thing. Um, it sort of sits in the middle of the two things I described. It's feature-like, but it could be a journey, but it's much more linear. Mm -hmm. It's less all-encompassing as trying to identify your power users and their effectiveness on the product. So those are kind of three use cases that that those are types of requests that we see. I, I want to you know preface that with one point that we use a very simple model at Amplitude in thinking about your events, which is familiar, I'm sure, to everyone who's listening, where... It's kind of these level zero events are core domain events that will probably last for a decade. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could change the whole interface of your product and you would still be thinking about these events. I mean, these yeah. are the gold star events in your product. The second category is what we would call sort of, it's in between, it's in between domains, but it's the kind of like product domain aspect of these, which is it's not completely coupled to the interface of today, but these are things that you might choose to optimize over a course of quarters or maybe years. If you project yourself in the future three years from now, are you still going to be worried about exactly how they're operating the search widget? Probably not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At the same time, a team might be working on multiple years or you know multiple quarters to improve that particular experience. The third level events are what I would be calling these incredibly sort of ephemeral, broad reaching, very kind of open-ended interface type clicks and drags and movements across these things. And these are things that are almost like your security policy. You, you might be curious about them. They're probably, they might inform a design decision. They might inform, you know, be kind of curiosity type metrics. And so I'm mentioning this when it comes to requests from customers, because when it comes to telemetry and when it comes to thinking about that, you can see that the requests layer up to those, right? Those domain events are thinking about the long-term customer value, long-term retention, how people are using the product, completely interface agnostic. The middle layer of these product type events are a bit interface dependent, kind of overlap the domain a little bit. These are things like features and workflows that you're going to be optimizing for a while. The second set of the, the the final set of the three are these very ephemeral curiosity events right. that might inform small design decisions, but you're probably never going to look at it again. <laughs> so I don't know if that helps. I've given you two ways to look at the, the answer. One is sure. based on the types of questions, you know, from features to workflows to core sort of business impact. And then the other way, I took the event angle to explain that this maps to the types of events they track, core domain events, product-oriented events, and then ephemeral interaction events um, as the third category. So hopefully that helps people think about the question a bit. 
That's great. I think, uh, John, I like the way you've explained about these two different ways of uh, looking at it. Do you also get, uh, fine-tuning that question, I think, do you also get to see, or, or are, are you even focused more on the cloud-based approach or the on-premise customers, meaning or, or the, you don't care in to put much We don't really on... care, and we have okay. customers that do both. And Okay. I think, and we have customers who are actually, and this will tie it together for people. We have customers who are in the midst of an on-prem to, I mean, just last week, a company that was very successful running sort of on-prem thing that is now creating a cloud-based offering and has to, perfect example, they have to migrate customers over. Um, the on-prem solution is getting in the way of them innovating. Customers are very beholden to the on-prem type environment that they're in. Uh, the cloud-based thing will give them an opportunity to also uh, reduce some of the usability debt, you know, to your point about finding features that are working or not working or how it's doing. Um, this idea of like a central admin space, you know, that, that they want to try to administrate these different offerings as they shift from on-prem to the cloud. What's fascinating with that is it's all of the things we just spoke about. Mm -hmm. um, one is the domain... Um, the interface agnosticity component. What I always recommend to those customers, I say, well, look, in the on-prem solution or the cloud solution, they're still accomplishing the same thing, aren't they? Right. <laughs> you know, you're creating the work order, you're doing that, yes. So, well, this is a very amazing opportunity to get it right. So, you know, the the where that occurred is an implementation detail. That's a property. Much more important for us here is that you isolate your core domain events. And then as you migrate people over to the cloud-based solution, you start seeing if it's working. Have you left anything out? Is there feature parity and things? So hopefully that's interesting. It's it's for us, we're pretty agnostic. We have a pretty um, detailed server side, a set of server side, you know, SDKs and things that they could use, or they can do something client side. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's customers that use variations of these or have a mobile app, an on-prem thing, an IoT-based thing, and then a, a web-based app all together. And so Amplitude actually is pretty effective at stitching identities across that. So that answers the question of how many people are, you know, how many people's IoT device are firing while at the same time them controlling it with their mobile app to turn their thermostat down or something. So for us, we're pretty agnostic to that. Okay, amazing. I I I really like uh, the detailed explanation that you have provided here. So, how easy now? Now the obvious question comes in here, right? Like, how easy it is uh, to implement or integrate amplitude onto these. Um, whether it is these hyperscaler platforms like the GCPs or the AWS of the world or uh, the enterprise business software firms like SAPs, Oracles, and Workdays and Salesforce of the world are meaning. Yeah, I mean, the implementation yeah. For, yeah. for us is, um, first of all, I don't think anything's easy. I'd be lying if I say anything's easy, especially when it comes to keeping data. <laughs> right, right. Data is just hard. We all, we all know that to do these things. Um, yeah, I think that the point here is that, you know, we pull in data from number of data stores that exist, you know, Redshift and Snowflake, and we can do that. What we found with some of, I think this is an interesting point for people is, 
what's your what's your goal right now so so what tends to happen for example is you'll have this enterprise and they're paralyzed you know they're mm -hmm. like well we've got the data on all these different sources and we're trying to do that and they just don't get anything done <laughs> because they're trying to the and so you know amplitude could be as simple as installing the SDK on a mobile app and then making sure it's firing a couple of events so you can solve today's problems. Hmm. Or it could be as complex as, uh, you know, enriching data in some kind of data store and then moving it into Amplitude so that you could use it. So we're sort of, a, you know, it's easy, but I also, I also suggest to people that they think about what rigor do they need right now um, and, and what they're trying to accomplish with it. Um, and so I think, you you know, the, the question of we have this behavior, you could think of Amplitude as an incredibly effective and efficient data store for event stream data mm -hmm. that has a, a really flat data model with only one or two join capabilities that are all around uh, user identification and identity management. And so if you build something like that, it's super, super fast. It takes the data that you give it and makes it available in a bunch of these very relevant product type insights that you use. And then you can also action the data. So if you create a cohort within Amplitude, you could feed that into an auto a marketing automation system, or you could target some kind of email campaign or some follow-up targeting to those. So for us, it's kind of, we're, we're sort of agnostic to the particular environment. Um, at the same time, I urge people to think about what are they trying to accomplish? <laughs> because you see, you see companies sort of uh, spin. I, I always joke that I, I've given up on 360 degree journey of the customer. I think that you've got 360 views of the journey, and you just got to have to accept right. that. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, it, it's like everyone goes in and says they're going to get this magic view of the customer journey, and then you ask them how many people used your app yesterday to do X. They said, "Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we've got our three year project to see the customer journey," and I said, "Well." you know, may, maybe you should solve today's problem too, because in three years, when you're done with this project, there's going to be another 50 touch points <laughs> that you have. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's go to the next question, but those are some thoughts in that area. Great. Great. Do you, um, so yeah. So from what I understand is that of course, uh, amplitude, the integration mechanism depends on the level of data that you have, level of the depends on the yep. use case, but you can always run it as a service, uh, as a side-by-side -side service where you can plug it in and kind of uh, read into that information or read into that data or listen into that. Uh, because yeah, it's, it's all eventity. Yeah. It's it's event-based, event not entity-based. Yeah. Event so that's based, the main yeah. thing to realize is that it, that's what we're incredibly good at is like very crisp actions and then linking that to, you know, so there's there's products that, you know, if you want to, you know, query a table of your million users and say, how many of them do we think we're in Canada at some point or another, you know, there's ways you can do that. But that that's not particularly interesting to us. What we want to know is like, what did that person from Canada do? <laughs> um, and, you know, this is the funny thing about stuff like that. I, I mean, everyone can relate to this, but one of the most fun things... I observe in Amplitude on Amplitude, when we use Amplitude to understand our customers, is just how many of our um, preconceived conceptions change. So for example, you see that like, wow, people travel a lot and use so many devices, <laughs> you know, like this, 
you know, and, and so we see when, for example, you know, someone has a new device and we, and then we string together that identity with their prior identity, but you see this list of these like 30 identities. You're like, oh my goodness, people are buying computers and changing and look, they were in Singapore and then they were in like Abu Dhabi and then they're in these different places and they're using these different things. So one, one curious, uh, hopefully that gives people an imagery of what I'm talking about is that this kind of event-based approach is like, it's, it's really that granular. And that's what we're looking at. Like what, where were they when they did that event is very interesting to us uh, versus like a big entity, you know, type analysis to do that. Great. Great. So basically the event-based mechanism, which triggers into you understanding the customer behavioral platform pattern and then understand i think it's more like a customer on, on a behavioral deep, behavioral platform kind of a thing yeah, yeah on a deep level and i'm sure you you see this with people that you work with is that it is amazing how challenging event stream data and time series data True. is for a lot of analysts who have only dealt with entity based data or you know we have a table of features you know here's a table of features now you're going to do some type of analysis or you know, I mean, we, we have a feature that does some, you know, k-means clustering across personas to do that, but it's like an order of magnitude harder to do that when you're thinking about time series event-based data than when normally would say, well, you know, here's the voting record of, you know, the classic exercises of here's the voting record in the United States of these people. And there's, you know, seven different features per person now do the analysis. So it, yeah, the time series data can be pretty challenging for people um, and so we, you know, we try to solve that, but that's an aside. Yeah, great that you brought that uh, uh, thing about the voting records. I think tomorrow we have our uh, midterm elections coming up. Great. Yeah, there we go. <laughs>
where the challenge is in your company. I meet with a lot of analytics or data science or other leaders that say their primary problem is understanding the strategy of the product, that they're just mm -hmm. so transactionally oriented, they don't get to do that. So challenge your conception of what self-service means. I, I think that that's a big thing um, that needs to change and that it works in both directions. Mm -hmm. it, it gets your business stakeholders more ana analytically savvy, and then it creates your, your analysts to be more product savvy uh, is one. And then I would finally end... Um, you know, in, in thinking just about the basic the basic things that you need to do, you know, it really does boil. In, in a product environment, the decision space is this cross-functional team that's making decisions. And often what I've learned is that people don't, not everyone thinks in terms of decision support. Right. They might think in terms of uh, reducing uncertainty around assumptions. They might think about analytics as, tracking performance. How did it do? Very like evaluative um, view of the things. Other people are into modeling. They are into deep modeling. We're creating a customer health model or I need to create some kind of model. And so one thing I would uh, you know urge people to do is if you come from an analytics background, you tend to sort of, what's the decision? What's the question that you have? And I must answer it. But for you to be effective in this space and effective at, at working with people in a product environment, you have to be pretty flexible. Right. What is the goal here? You know, what's the goal? What are the decisions? But then you have to allow a little bit of messiness. Maybe the people you're working with don't think in terms of decision uh, support. You know, they, they think about in terms, I just need to know if it's working. Other people, I'm trying to make a model. The other people are like, I'm trying to reduce uncertainty, bad assumptions. And so I, I would urge people, you know, the analyst side that you have to it, you know, you have to really be a strategic partner in this and not necessarily force a particular, you know, analytics requirements gathering process on the team. You need to become a decision maker within the team as well to fully understand what they're juggling. Um, I, that, I would leave people with that point. True, true. That's a great, that's a great uh, point that you brought up, uh, John. Like analysts becoming more product aware or the analytics persona, uh, analytics person is becoming yep. more product aware because that is where I think you, if, if, if you are more product aware, you can understand the more, the strategy of the product and where it is all coming in from and it will tie in. And that's what it ultimately, yeah. I mean, this is yeah. when we talk about 360 degree view of the customer and all these things. In some ways, this is the rise of data products within companies and, and it, you have to shift out of this. I'm here to answer questions, hmm. you know, Answers are cheap in some ways, right? Like it's, right. If, if you don't, and if you don't drive forward for seeing the decisions and the other things and, and make that, then you're not really doing your job. I mean, the choice to use ML or AI to solve a particular problem versus a simple linear regression to solve a particular problem, that's up to you to do. And if you understand the decision space and if you think about what you're doing as a product itself, then, you know, those are implementation details. Like what, what is the goal that the sort of strategic goal is really the important twist here. Perfect. Thanks, Sean. Now let's take a quick break and come back and do our closing remarks. Uh, All right, John, uh, let's uh, come back. Uh, and then we do any key takeaways or closing remarks that you would like to provide for the audience? 
Well, I think we, you know, I covered a lot of the things in the last idea of the guiding principles related to that. I think that um, what I would urge people is to explore the world of product and design, because I think that's the direction where we all need to be thinking, you know, uh, you know, versus like questions and answers as a service ver versus thinking even of the things we're building internally as internal data products or mm -hmm. the products we're delivering to customers as products. Um, I would urge people to think in that direction because I think that's been a thread through this conversation um, that we've had, but I think that that's that. And it's been wonderful chatting with you all. And certainly if you want to learn more about Amplitude, always, always happy, reach out on LinkedIn or um, whatever works for you. Sure. Thanks for your time, John. Cool. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Now let us uh, wrap up this uh, podcast 33 of the podcast three from season four. I would first like to thank our guest, John Cutler from Amplitude for the detailed conversation and the perspectives behind how important it is to measure the usage of these different features and what important role data plays in here. And the perspectives pretty much uh, that centered around how to make analysts product aware, which is where I think the topic or the conversation went around rather than uh, product experts becoming more analytics survey. So this conversation here focused more on and how Amplitude is focused more on providing the analysts becoming more product aware. So I learned a lot in this conversation. I hope you are also able to find this useful. As always, if you have any questions, you can directly reach out to my guest, John Cutler. I'll be tagging him on LinkedIn post. If not, you can also reach out to me and I can put you in touch with him. As always, uh, you can search up a lot of other podcasts in this series of Extra AI, Machine Learning and AI Applications podcast series. There are humongous amount of podcasts available there. You can go to xtrawai.com and you can find a list of all the different podcast sessions from the different seasons. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me and send a message via the website xtrawai.com, extraai.com, or you can directly reach out on my social media handles, Ragubanda at LinkedIn or RKBanda at Twitter. As always, if you have any feedback or if you have any new topics that you would like me to discuss, feel free to send it information and I'll try to put forward those conversations. Finally, I would like to thank you, the audience, wherever you're tuning in from or wherever you're dialing in from. Happy predicting the future with AI technologies. Bye-bye now.